Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning and Merry Christmas, church. My name is Matt Gilchrist. I'm one of the ministers on staff here, and I'm excited to share with us this morning from Colossians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or perhaps uh, find how to find the Bible on that new electronic device that found its way under your tree for Christmas, uh, you can do that right now. If you're a visitor, uh, I'll just try and bring you up to speed real quick. Here at Christchurch, over the month of December, we've been apart looking at two different themes and two different studies that have followed the same track as we anticipated Christmas. On Sunday mornings, we've looked at this Christmas in Captivity series where we've considered some of the Old Testament passages about who Christ would be when he would come as a king and as a rescuer, and it was longed for by the Jewish people. And on Sunday night, as a part of our Advent series, we've anticipated the arrival, the coming of the light of the world. And if you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard Mark talk about the value of lights. And so I found it ironic last night uh, when that value was, maybe it was, this is true for you as well, was taken away from your home for a few hours. About 7.30 last night, things powered down and my family enjoyed darkness for the rest of the evening. And it was a good reminder for me just once again of the power of lights. And so we lit those candles as a reminder And so this morning, we're going to look at Christ just again, as we just hope to extend in some ways this study of Christmas, of who Jesus Christ is. This passage in Colossians, really the whole book of Colossians, is a fantastic study of who Christ is. And this passage in verses 15 through 23 that we've read together already will really begin for us a study, and I hope one more reminder for us of the value and the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis once said, we don't need new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truth. Sometimes that word old can get some baggage with it. We don't want old, we want new, we want something different, we want something better. But what we are reminded in the Christmas season is that the old truth of Jesus Christ is in fact the best truth there is the hope that we have, the forgiveness that we enjoy because of what he has done is worth remembering. And so let's dive into Colossians chapter 1. If you see in your outlines, we're going to follow one of those traditional good news, bad news, good news things today. And so we're going to start with good news of who Christ is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And they read like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Before I joined the staff here at Christchurch, I worked for a ministry uh, that afforded me the opportunity to travel to be a part of a number of different churches uh, and see God's work all around the world. 
I remember a particular Sunday, my family was with me and we were visiting a church and they were wrapping up a series about who Jesus was. And the preacher was doing a fantastic job of listing thing after thing that was true of Christ and what he had done and who he was and what he meant to the world. And he got to the end of it. And it's one of those moments that's just very climactic and you feel moved deep in your soul. My son was sitting next to me. He was much younger than he is now. And I remember looking down and seeing in his eyes, like, I want to say something, but it's church, so I'm not allowed to. And so I wanted to give him the freedom to do it. And I asked a terrible question, one that you don't need to ask your kids today. And I asked him, do you like this guy? I don't know why I asked that. It wasn't like the right necessary question, but I was trying to prompt a response. You like something. Do you like this guy? And I'll never forget his profound little response as he whispered to me with his little voice, And he said this, he said, he makes Jesus sound awesome. I remember hearing that and just going, yeah, that's good. That's what I was thinking too. I just couldn't verbalize it because I'm old and my brain doesn't work as quick. But your quick one just immediately verbalizes, he makes Jesus sound awesome. And when I read this passage in Colossians, that's my response to what Paul writes, that he lays out for us all of these things that Jesus Christ is. And my response is, Jesus is awesome. No wonder he's worthy of our praise. And so there's two things that really are highlighted, both extremely important in these first few verses of Colossians. First, we see his work in creation. Again, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard Mark allude to some of this, that Christ was in fact active at creation, was involved in it. And he read this passage from John 1 that says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The Hebrew writer chose to start his book in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You see, Jesus was present at creation. Without him, we don't get creation. He is above all of creation. This baby that I sometimes am tempted to think just shows up on the scene for the first time in a manger in a stable in a forgotten little town has really actually been involved and aware of things all along. He's present at creation, which also means he's present in the Old Testament. So he's seen the groaning and the longing of the Jewish people. He's heard their cries of the need for a king to come to redeem them, to give them hope. And he's been waiting perhaps even more anxiously than them all along for this time when he can finally come to earth. Not only is he the creator, he's also the sustainer. Colossians passage says that he holds all things together. 
that things are held together by him and they're carried forward by him. And so he has this power over creation. And if you think back to a couple of weeks ago in Michael's sermon where he was talking about that one fantastic day in Jesus' life where he's calming storms and he's casting demons out of people, it makes a great deal of sense, doesn't it, that Jesus could do that as the creator of the universe that he would be able to stand and look at a storm and say, peace, be still, and the disciples would respond, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? This man is more than just a man. He is the exact representation of our heavenly father. He's the creator and the sustainer, the one who spoke them into being. And so whether it's storms or illness or death or demons, when Jesus spoke, those things heard, they recognized, and they obeyed, Because he has that kind of power. As the creator and as the sustainer of the universe, he's also actively involved. Perhaps you've heard that argument, well, yeah, I can believe in a creator God, but after he got things going, it's kind of like the watchmaker. He winds it up and then he walks away. But our passage this morning says, no, he's actively involved. He's holding things together. He still is completely aware of everything that's going on. He's not disconnected. He's not distracted. He's not in some waiting room where he doesn't see what's happening here on earth. He's holding things together. He's involved in those things, which means he sees your joy and he feels your pain. It means this creator and sustainer who started these things is still involved in them and will be until that day when he returns to take us home. Not only is he active in creation, we see in verses 18 through 20 that we also see his work as redeemer. If he's the firstborn over all creation, our passage says he's also the firstborn among the dead. Not only was Jesus present and helping to create mankind, It's also by his hand that we are recreated, that we are given new life and new hope, and all things from Genesis 3 are restored. Paul describes him as the head of the body, the church, the king over our personal and professional lives, both our Lord and our Savior. Not simple fire insurance, not just a one-time thing where he does this to take care of us and then we're covered, but it's this ongoing leadership and control and love that we experience. The one who does this for us is the same one that spoke the world into being, and so we can be confident in him. And as our Lord and Savior, he provides for us a peace that we cannot provide on our own. He becomes our peacemaker, thus making it possible for us to experience unity once again with him, but also with one another. Sure, there's going to be conflict, and sure, things won't be perfect. There will always be challenges, no matter what, on this earth because of sin. But we can have the confidence that Christ is greater than those things, and we can, in fact, enjoy, even if they're small glimpses of peace, as we await the final peace. Verse 19 also says that he is the fullness of, of God, the exact representation is what Hebrews says. And I'm reminded of the words from a worship song that simply say you don't give your love in pieces. Jesus wasn't a down payment. He wasn't just part of the image of God. He was all of it, the fullness, everything about God was made present in who Jesus was when he walked on this earth. And so we have in verses 15 through 20 this beautiful, some will call it a Christ hymn. It's this This piece of teaching that can be responded to that it makes no, it leaves no uh, 
confusion about who Christ is. The person and work of Christ, our hope, is laid clear, and we're able to see evidently through his work in creation and through his work in redemption who exactly Jesus Christ is. And it demonstrates his unity with the Heavenly Father. Do you see over and over again in verses 15 through 20 this he language that's always he is doing this, and it's this unified, beautiful picture between what the Trinity experiences of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit together in unity, and it's good news of who Christ is. But if there's good news about who Christ is, there's also a bit of bad news in verse 21. If 15 through 20 is all this he language about what is experienced between God the Father and Jesus the Son, verse 21 starts to use this you language about us that's about separation. Verse 21 says this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, alienated, separated, estranged, the word means a non-participant in all of the things that God is. The passage itself is not very flattering. In fact, it's pretty blunt as it says that we've been alienated and that we're hostile, that we're enemies in our own minds, engaged in evil behavior. Perhaps if you were here last week, you heard Mark reference sin being a choice, a conscious decision by us to do what we want instead of what God has asked us to do. I remember a number of years ago hearing this statement, you can't commit a sin that you haven't already thought about. And I know absolute statements are kind of challenging and difficult and we want to resist them. But there's some truth to that statement that you can't commit a sin you haven't already thought about. The reality is this, most of the time, our sins are in fact premeditated decisions. Things that we've already thought about, considered, weighed the cost and chose, I know this is the right, I know this is the wrong, I'm gonna go this route anyways. And us outside of Christ, away from his help, away from his leadership, away from his hope, continue to seem to make those types of decisions on our own. Left to our own devices, we'll find ourselves alienated, hostile, and engaged in evil behavior. I guess if I was just going to summarize verse 21 and get done with the bad news so we can go back to good news, I would simply say this. At this point in the passage, when I look at verses 15 through 20 about who Jesus is, I realize that none of those things are really true about me left to myself. I live, I am verse 21 if I'm left to my own thoughts and desires and they don't match up well with who Christ is in 15 through 20. And if he were to, if Paul were to have finished his letter at this point, this would be a terribly depressing and non-hopeful way to leave this letter where he separates us from God and says, this is who Jesus is. This is all the things that he does. Bad news is this is who you are. So praise the Lord for verses 22 and 23, the good news of who we are in Christ. Verse 22 and 23 say this, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out of the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Do you see that verse and that word in verse 22, reconciled? If you go back up right before this passage in verses 13 and 14, 
we read this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And 15 through 20 is he language about unity between God and Christ. And verse 21 is you language about how we're separated from God. Then 22 and 23 is this combination of he and you where we are reconciled, we are rescued, we are brought into, we are redeemed, and we are forgiven. Church, that's the good news of who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And it's hope not just extended to a few, it's hope extended to every man and woman on earth. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone, that puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. So reconciliation then is the gift of life with God through Christ, our hope. It's the story of Christmas. It's the story of people longing to be brought back into relationship with God and finally the one comes who can make that all possible. The good news of Christmas then is that we can be presented as holy without blemish and free from accusation. Because there is one Christ, our Savior, who has taken that through his death on the cross. He came, he lived, he was perfect, he died, and he raised again so that we could have hope. The hope of Christmas, then, is Christ, our hope, chose to enter and not run from our chaos. Christ, our hope, chose to take and not despise our shame. Christ, our hope, came to shoulder and not ignore our burdens. Now, there is this somewhat troublesome word, if, in verse 23, that John Piper calls the main course of this gospel, of this passage. The main course of this passage being the good news, the hope of the gospel. It says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Another translation writes it this way, so don't venture away from what you have heard and taken to heart the living hope of the good news that has been announced to all creation under heaven and has captured me, Paul, as a servant. In other words, don't chase after new ideas. Stay anchored to old truth. The hope of the gospel that can be true for us does require us to build our life on that truth and nothing else. Not to return to verse 21, not to just walk towards verse 22 and 23 when we want to, but to stay anchored and secured there. With the help of Christ, we can do that. And when we do it, we are presented as holy and blameless, free from accusation. So what do we do with this hope that is presented in Christ? I guess my question really isn't a we question, it's a you question. What do you do with the hope of Christ? For some of us in this room, it's something we said yes to years ago, and we continue to say yes day in and day out to the hope made real in Christ. And this passage in Colossians for us is an encouragement and a reminder that there is no other way for which we can be saved. This is the truth and the hope, and it's why we celebrate at Christmas, because no matter our circumstance, no matter our family situation, no matter what has transpired in the last year, we know we have a hope who is Christ the Savior. 
And for those of us that are skeptical or questioning or maybe have wandered away or simply have just resisted and held at arm's length this hope of Christ, the offer is extended for you to respond and to realize you have two options. And they're pretty, pretty cut, pretty dry. To be a person of verse 21 and do it on your own or to choose to be a person that lives verses 22 and 23, accepting what Christ has offered and then living in that hope and truth. Later on this morning, we're gonna sing these words, Christ is enough. And those words are a statement of truth, not a question, not something that we're curious about, but a confidence that we have that Christ is in fact enough. That no matter who we are, no matter what we face, no matter our challenges, no matter how good or bad we may have been, all that we need is found in the cross of Christ, in the hope of Christ, in the arrival of the light of the world. John Calvin said it this way. This is kind of a lengthy quote, and so it'll be on the screens for you to follow along if it's easier for you to do that. He said this, if we seek salvation, we are taught by the very name of Jesus that it is of him. If we seek any other gifts of the Spirit, they will be found in his anointing. If we seek strength, it lies in his dominion. If purity, in his conception. If gentleness, it appears in his birth. For by his birth, he was made like us in all respects, that he might learn to feel our pain. If we seek redemption, it lies in his passion. If acquittal, in his condemnation. If remission of the curse, in his cross. If satisfaction, in his sacrifice. If purification in his blood, if reconciliation in his descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in his tomb, if newness of life in his resurrection, if immortality in the same, if inheritance of the heavenly kingdom is in his entrance into heaven, if protection, if security, if abundant supply of all blessings in his kingdom, if untroubled expectation of judgment in the power given him to judge. And he summarizes it like this. In short, since rich store of every kind of good abounds in him, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. One author said this about hope, that hope is desire plus expectancy. Desire without expectancy is simply a wish, and expectancy without desire is something more like dread. But real Christian hope is desire plus expectancy because the one in whom we hope is good and faithful. In the month of November, we as a church had the opportunity to read through the Psalms. There was about five of them each day that we would read. And I was reminded throughout the month of November as we read those Psalms and as we gave thanks to God for the blessings that were ours, sometimes reading those on days that went great, sometimes reading those the morning after a terrible, horrible day. I was struck and reminded again by the fact that almost every single Psalm at the end, no matter the attitude or the perspective of the writer, ends in hope. There are some that just stay up the whole time. They're just praising God nonstop. And then there are others that start so difficult and full of despair and so low. And yet at the end, there is always this confidence, sometimes as much a dream and a wish as it is an expectancy, that there is in fact hope because of God. And it's one of those Psalms that we got to read it throughout November 
that I want to read for us as we close this morning. It's from Psalm chapter 33, and it's a few verses that really mimic well for us this journey that we've just gone through in the book of Colossians, in this chapter one of Colossians. It starts with the confidence of who God is. In the middle, there's this tension again of when we try to do it on our own, but then there is at the end this confident hope because of who God is. And so this question that you have to wrestle with this morning, what will you do with the hope of Christ? I pray that these words from the psalmist will cause one of two things in each of us, and perhaps both. If we know Christ and if we have a relationship with him, I pray that it brings about celebration and confidence that we can respond in worship both in this room and when we walk out those doors. And if that hope of Christ is not something that you're familiar with, I pray that these words spark you to want to make a decision, to respond in some way, whether it's in this room, whether it's going out in that lobby and finding one of our staff and talking with them and beginning to pray about what this means. But I want us to consider Psalm chapter 33, beginning in verse 13. It says this, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Christ our hope. Church, I invite you to respond this morning as we stand and as we sing together to the one who is faithful, good, and true, Christ our hope. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.